You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Teched, the podcast. This is episode 137 called Five Burning Ed Tech Questions in Education. In this episode, we'll share five listener questions that have come in over the past few months. We'll cover topics such as recruiting ed tech believers, ed tech coaching, AI, and the post-COVID status of education. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. back with episode 137. Uh, This is one of my favorite episodes to do just because we know that these are burning questions that our listeners have approached us about and it's pretty cool when we get some uh, questions that come in. We love uh, addressing them. Some of these today are are quite challenging. Uh, They're more complex than uh, probably an episode really uh, can offer but we will at least uh, cover some of the surface ones, and hopefully those that ask the questions, if you have any further up questions, you can uh, ask us those, and we'll put them on another episode. Yeah, each of these questions could be an episode unto itself. And in fact, we've done full episodes just like in the development of the podcast itself on these topics. So some things are going to sound familiar if you are a listener to Got Teched, but uh, these are the questions that we sort of get all the time and have withstood the, the test of time. So, you know, it's worth bringing these things up, especially in this world, especially now, um, t- today, as we're recording this in May 2023, because there's lots of big technology changes. We'll just we'll just say that for now. So things are changing constantly, and um, we love talking about this stuff. So that's what uh, that's what you can expect in today's episode. All right, so let's get into our updates real quick. Uh, we we have been mentioning that we're going to be at ISTE. Uh, our presentation is on Monday. I believe it's four to five. Do you do you know if that's correct? We are the four o'clock time slot, which I don't love because at that point in the day, people are starting to get a little bit tired, and your and your brain gets overwhelmed at a at a uh, convention like ISTE, but I'm still excited and I think just because of you know the the quantity of people that are there I think it's it's gonna it's gonna work out pretty good for us it is the first day though so That's people true. are gung-ho on the yeah. first day right uh, so yeah very excited to be there I know that there are several people that reached out saying that they're gonna be there I know that several of uh, my favorite tools are gonna be there moat will be there I plan on uh, meeting up with them, maybe uh, stopping in at that stand, maybe helping out, I'm not sure. I know that there's a lot of people from Teach Better that are coming in. I'm excited to meet up with them and some other podcasters uh, that are going down, and I I hope to be able to grab a cheesesteak or something with them. So that is ISTE. Uh, Another update is we've done a soft launch of our page called the AI teacher dot tips. That's the, the URL, the AI teacher dot tips. Uh, and there you'll find a bunch of stuff that we're working on with AI. Uh, we're having a great time researching AI, figuring out, 
you know, the whole world of AI and how we could use it in education. So go over there, check out some of the stuff that we have there. We're starting to do some videos on some of the EdTech AI tools that we really like. And uh, most of them are free. So check those out. Uh, and then I am working on my annual podcast blog that comes out in the, within the next month or so. So I'm taking suggestions for that. Really for that, I'm not looking for complete like episodes. There's no requirement on how many episodes the podcast has. Really, I'm looking for uh, episodes that really th trigger thinking, reflection, increased practice. So I'm looking for specific episodes within podcasts. So we're going to highlight one episode and then uh, also the podcast as well. And there's several good educational uh, podcasts out there. So I like putting this one together because one, I use it as a directory for me to go back and continue listening to some of these episodes and podcasts. But two, it also sheds light on all the amazing things that other podcasters are doing and and really I get my PD my most valuable professional development is listening to podcasts so I love listening to educational podcasts there's new ones popping up that I have no clue about uh, so please 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 send in some recommendations I'd love to listen and if you know a specific episode that really piqued your interest please share that too so I can go back and look at it this podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So let's get into the main segment of today, which are the, the five listener questions. Before we read these off, I'll just remind everyone that you can interact with Geis and I a, a bunch of different ways. Um, maybe the best way is to leave a comment on your your podcast playing app. Hopefully that's the Apple one because that's the most common place people are listening to podcasts. But, you know, we check those comments. We, th we see those. If you've got a question, we'll read it if you post it there. And it's a great way for us to bring these to the show. Uh, so that's one option. Second option is you, and this is probably the best one, is find us on Twitter. Uh, we each have our own you know, Twitter handles. I'm at Nick Got Teched and Geist is at Geist Got Teched. There's also the show Twitter at We Got Teched. Follow us if you don't, because we do share stuff and, and interact there. Um, but that is where almost all of these questions came from. So that's probably the main place people are going to want to go to as far as getting a hold of us. We have an email too, but I don't know if we publicly share that out. So let's just leave it to Twitter and, uh, you know, commenting on your podcast player. However you choose to do it, this is good stuff, man, because the, the questions people have um, are, are, it's like the most real way to get information out. And as, I, as we pu we're putting this list together, I noticed that it, it matches up with a lot of the stuff we hear every day from colleagues at the school we work in. So I guess I'll kick it off with uh, number one. Do you care if I just read off the first one? No, go ahead. All right, so here we go. The first question we got was, do you guys use all of the EdTech tools you mentioned on the show? How do you choose which EdTech tools you will incorporate into your classroom? So I'll give the obvious answer, which is no. <laughs> we definitely don't use all the tools. Some, some episodes, just one episode, we might share like 25 different tools. There's just no feasible way we could use all those things, which, you know, might seem a little bit weird. We're, we're here talking about how great these 25 tools are, and, and yet we don't use them. 
and it's just a, a matter of, of time. There's no possible way I could do it at least. Yeah, for me, every tool is different. People work in different ways. A lot of time it's preference. I, I know that Nick and I, we don't agree on some tools that provide the same functionality. Uh, so it's just preference. Me, I look for things that get a task done and it's very easy to use and it doesn't cost me a lot of money or any money. Uh, those are important things to me and I think it's very important for us as teachers to not spend money out of our pocket though and, and this is a big though <laughs> I do feel that some of these ed tech tools are very 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 important to our teaching so I weigh it against is it going to save me time because right, when I grade papers when I grade labs if it's going to take me four hours to do it without tech and it's going to take me one hour to do it with tech, well, guess what? The $20 a year is worth it to me because that's three extra hours I get back to spend with my kids or make something else for my class that's going to be, you know, a lot better than what I have to offer now. So you have to do that. Uh, I also look at PTOs, parent groups, things like that to pay for some of these tools as well. And, and I know that we have one uh, PTO in the district that is very powerful and they'll, they'll, they'll listen to those requests and usually they come through. So there are ways to get these tools. But I will say this, the more that we can present you, the better it is because it's going to help all different types of teachers fit their niche, fit what they're looking for. So don't you don't have to go out and try anything, but if you're looking for uh, a background remover app, and we give you background BG, we give you Canva, we give you Slazer, Slazer, uh, you know, three different ones. You know, maybe Slazer's the one that works for you, that you like the best because you like the editing capabilities within there. Maybe you're not looking for editing capabilities and you just want the remover, you go to uh, remove BG and if you're looking to remove the background and then create images on top of that or add icons and text and stuff, maybe you do that in Canva because it's a one-stop shop for all that. It's your choice is what we're saying. We love to give you options. The other thing is while we don't use all the tools we mentioned, and that's a good point like Eric, uh, Eric just raised, sometimes we don't use them because literally we might be sharing three different tools that do the same thing and, and the background removing is a good example. When that happens though, and, and everything we do share, um, at least for me, I know I always imagine myself being able to use it in my own classroom, even if I'm not, and sometimes that's just like a content thing, because I'm a science teacher, and we try to spread it around. So we'll share tools that might work better for elementary. We'll share tools that might work better for world languages, just to you know, give something for everybody here. So while I may not actually use it to teach my chemistry class, I could imagine using it. And a, a relatively recent example of this would be um, something called time.graphics. This was from one of the, I don't know, maybe our past 10 episodes, but time.graphics is an online timeline creator. And I have not used it in my class, but I totally would use it in my class. And I plan to next year, but I just haven't yet. Um, you know, so we're gonna look for things like 
how easy is it to use and time.graphics is super easy to use there's no logins you don't have to make accounts um, it doesn't take any training right the kit if you were to assign your students the a project of creating a timeline this is the type of tool I would use were I to do that project for all those reasons so I haven't used it yet but I plan to and that's the type of stuff we're looking for yeah and remember we promote an edtech toolkit so our edtech toolkits are different my edtech toolkit for myself as a teacher is different for the edtech toolkit that I present to my class all right so I have my set of tools that helps my functionality my productivity and they are changing because if you know some some tool comes up with an update and that update doesn't jive with my flow I like that jive with my flow but there you go. Um, I'm gonna tell you I'll, I will change it if I find something else that that does and that's huge we got to think about that because the last thing you want to do is give your students 500 ad tech tools and expect them to be pros at it because they're gonna spend more time working on the tool than they are your content and that's not what you want the other thing I want to say is, and this is kind of leading into our next question, Nick and I, we're ed tech coaches. We drop into classrooms, we work with teachers all the time, and what works for us doesn't work for them. So uh, our next question is, as ed tech coaches, uh, how do you go about recruiting teachers to use ed tech in the classroom? Do you have any tips, successful implementation? Yeah, I mean, we need to have these ed tech tools, this collection of ed tech tools, because what works for us may not work for them. And I love providing them options, but not too many options. So I'm just going to go through my preferred way of working with teachers. And then maybe we could get into some tips after that, how you recruit them. But my preferred way is uh, I find a teacher who is ready to teach something that maybe they're not happy with their lesson. Usually my conversation starts with, hey, what do you have coming up? Do you have anything that you're teaching that could use, you know, a little bit more to it? Anything that needs sprucing up a little bit? And when they say yes, I, I tell them to explain the com content that they're working with. And then usually from the content, I'll have a showcase of things. I have 12 to 15 different projects that I like to go to, whether it's an escape the room, murder mystery party, uh, whether it's some other type of gamified way of putting stuff into the classroom. I have infographics, I have a comics. Like I have all these different activities that I have helped other teachers implement it. So what I do is I keep their work kind of as a showcase piece and then I th look at the content and then I come up with only three different types of activities that I think that would fit that content pretty well. And I'll show the teacher all three of those and see if one of them interests them. If it does, we'll work on that. If it doesn't, I'll show them another two or three that they can look at and kind of see what they want to do. But I think that's important, not to overwhelm them with 15 different choices, but also allow them to, to choose. And once they choose that, uh, the activity that they want to do, then we sit down and we start collaborating. Usually I take care of the technology piece. They take care of the content piece. We meld them together. 
And then I go into the classroom the first time and I teach it. Uh, it's really a co-teaching because if I stumble on any of the content, for example, I just did one in a Spanish class. I don't speak Spanish. So I had to lean on the teacher to kind of bring the, the Spanish uh, aspect of the lesson out while I explain the technology. The second time the class meets, the teacher and I will co-teach it more. I'll, I'll kind of be the, the background person. They'll teach it, I'll jump in if I have to. And then the third time, I am just there for support if they stumble or if the technology fails or something like that. And then they're pros after that. They feel comfortable. They'll do it on their own. And you get these uh, projects that are out there. And you have another one to put to your collection to, to have as a showcase. So Geis is like, he's the expert at that process, what he just walked you through. And it, it's the way you have to go about it. And it kind of ties in with what I was going to say to this. I mean, recruiting teachers is tough because of how, how busy teachers are. If you're listening to our show, then you know that because you are a teacher or you're in that world. It's just, it's, it's brutal. There's so many things that are pulling at your attention all the time and that makes it hard to introduce people to new things because teachers' brains don't always feel like they've got room for new things. So I think about it this way and this is something that's developed over the past couple of years, but there's really, as far as recruiting people to ed tech, there's three types of, three types of teachers out there. Um, the first type maybe is like 15% of your colleagues and those are the, the natural users of technology and those are the people that would be finding these ed tech tools and using them whether you were there or not, right? There's no effort needed because those are the people that, you know, they're reading the newsletters just because they're interested in actually trying the things they read about. They're listening to the EdTech podcasts. If you're listening to this podcast, you are probably one of this group. You're a natural user. You just like it and you like trying new things. You like changing it up. And you know, those people you don't have to worry about. Another group, is I call them the EdTech ostriches. And you kind of don't have to worry about those people either because you're probably never gonna convince them, at least on a large scale. You, I, I've seen those people be converted if there's something that really catches them um, in a particular device, like maybe a little pen and a tablet that a math teacher really latches onto and is like, wow, this is great. And, and that's super cool because when, if you get that group invested in a piece of ed tech, then, then you've really got them and, and you know that they're gonna run with it. Um, and then there's the, the middle class of ed tech users. And those are the ones that you're really trying to reach. And you know what Geis is talking about where you have to get in there and develop lessons with them, that is how you have to reach that group. Um, and I've noticed that you, you have to be specific with it. You, and you can't leave it up in the air. You have to almost be, I don't know if like aggressive is the word, but maybe that is the word. Persistent. You, yeah, persistent. Like if you just send out an email and say, hey guys, I'm available tomorrow, or even more wishy-washy, I'm available in the mornings, which is have, has been my approach so far, stop by and see me, you're not gonna get too many people stopping by to see you. I 110,000% I agree with everything that you just said. I'm gonna give you the biggest tip that I could give you as far as how to reach those people and this middle class of ed tech users 
they're the most influential group that we have. Yes. So if they have a good experience with tech, they might move into the, you know, the ed tech expert category. I forget what you called it. The ed tech, ed tech natural users. It's there not a go. great term, but I like to call it, um, you know, tech comfortable. There you go. Group. All right, now the ostriches, which made me laugh because you put it in the show notes and I had no clue where you're going with it. You just put <laughs> ostriches. Uh, the ostriches, you know, they're the tech uncomfortable. They have reservations about everything. But that middle class, you can easily sway them one way or another. If you get to them before they try ed tech on their own and before that ed tech fails when they work on their own, they're going to go down into the ostrich category. Yep. If you get to them before that happens and you show them successful implementation, they probably will move up. So how do I do it? At the beginning of the year, what I do is I ask the principal for all the hall duty schedules, every single one. And then what I do is I look at the teachers that are on there and I try to identify whether they're an ostrich or if they're in one of the other two groups. I work a lot with people that are in that tech comfortable group because that group, I can go in there, we could have a conversation, and we can elevate the ed tech efficiency and how much it impacts or enhances a lesson astronomically. We've made some really cool things. Now, if I see them as what you call the middle class ed tech users, those are the ones I target on hall duty. So I'll go around, and they have nowhere where they can hide. Right. They have to be out in the hall. They, we have desks that are out in the hall, and they have to be there. I know where they're at. It's almost like that expression. I know where you live. I know where you sleep. Right. <laughs> I know where they're at. I know where they're stationed. And then, you know, before I go up and meet with them, I'll start putting chairs, an extra chair next to that desk or something like that. And it's funny because a couple people have called me out on it and said, hey, I saw the extra chair there. I knew you were coming because they know my MO now. But I have successfully worked with a lot of teachers based on hall duty schedules. So I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, you just the face-to-face -face work works really well. Um, so that's, that's a great, great question. So is this next one. Um, number three, we had someone ask about, uh, fittingly, AI. Um, the question reads, all I hear about lately is AI. Even your podcast has been invaded. True, kind of true. We've done several episodes on it just because it's such a big thing right now. I have such mixed feelings, like most people. What can you say to help ease my anxiousness? I like this question because it's extra timely. We're recording this on May 4th, 2023, and just, I think yesterday, maybe the day before, uh, there's some more big news and with, with AI there's oh, there's big news like every other day but this one was particularly big because a person named Jeffrey Hinton um, just recently quit Google and he was one of the lead developers of Google's AI program which is in the process of, of coming out on a large scale to the public and when Jeffrey Hinton quit Google he did it very publicly specifically sharing why he quit uh, and he's quitting because he uh, he's essentially saying he regrets his work. He does not think he should have developed this AI. He doesn't think humanity is ready for AI. Uh, he even compared himself to Oppenheimer, one of the scientists who developed the atomic bomb. 
And this got a ton of media attention because it's super clickbaity, right? Everyone's gonna wanna read that article and see what this guy has to say. Um, most people don't read the actual article, which is, as in most cases, a lot more tame than the title, um, where you know, if you actually read the article, uh, Jeffrey Hinton also says a lot of things about the positives of AI. Um, he's just worried about more how humans will use it. The point of this is that there's a ton of anxiety around AI. And you know, the main one right now is ChatGPT. Who knows what that's gonna be a month or a year or five years from now. But um, we gotta deal with this. And, and you know, we're trying to teach teachers about how to use it and how it can be used as this time-saving tool. Well, there's some people that are just, you know, straight up feel like they are opposed to it on a moral level and therefore they don't want to even hear anything that you have to say about how it might be able to to help you. Um, so the point of that introduction to this question, I know I haven't answered the question, is this is a fantastic question. I mean, you've seen this same type of thing for sure, right? Yeah, I've seen the question all the time. And I like to compare it to past technology. I like to say, hey, when I remember when I was in kindergarten, I was actually in from recess because I had recess detention. I, that was a common thing for me. I was a very hyperactive little kid. <laughs> I couldn't keep my mouth shut. And then I learned very quickly, if I keep my mouth shut, I get to go to recess. So then I turned into the quiet kid. Uh, and then I came, I don't know, I was very cyclic, cyclic uh, when it came to my behavior. And it took me a long time to mature and level out a little bit. But I will tell you, I can remember a conversation. I was in from recess. My teacher was uh, really, really upset the fact that there were Apple computers. I don't know. This could. This is probably before your time too. But we got Apple computers. The screen was an Apple. All right. That's what the first Apple computers. The screen was actually an Apple, and the you know. It's a screen, just the shape, the shape of, of an apple. You mean like the actual part that lit up? Was, yep, was an okay. out, outline of an apple. Huh, all right? okay. And I just remember those. And I remember the teacher talking to another teacher saying how, what are we going to do? This is going to totally, you know, take away from what we need to do as a teacher. We might even lose our job. And she was worried about it, upset about it. I didn't know what it meant. You know, I just remember hearing it, and when I hear something, I remember it. So I know that people have fears about this, and those fears are justified. The unknown is scary sometimes. But at the end of the day, it's here. We have to face it. I am scared, too, because I have seen AI of our president. I've seen AI of other people. And it looks like it's a real video. I mean, you can't tell that it's a, a dupe over. It's an AI, you know, video. And that could be scary because if someone believes it, and I'm thinking our high school kids, I'm thinking this could advance how bullying happens. All right? Because you can't, you could train voices to sound like other people. You could make a, a picture seem like a real life person. That is the scary part for me. And I will be anxious about that because I feel like since social media, which some of the same thoughts about AI 
were there with social media, like when MySpace came out and, and all some of the earlier ones came out. That was there. It's revolutionary and it's scary. And it's going to be scary until we figure out ways to control it. And I think that as fast as this stuff's coming out, we are a step behind, but I think at some point it's going to level off and we're going to be able to, I don't know, kind of figure out what's going on. Think about Twitter. All right? There were a lot of fake users at the beginning, a lot of bots that portrayed other people. And how did they get around that? Well, they put the blue check to next, next to people. I think the blue check's kind of worthless now that you pay $8 and everyone can have a blue check. But I, I, I think that, you know, there's going to be some types of checks and balances that are really going to level the playing field with AI. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought up the social media example because that's a good way, something that's already happened to kind of help people understand how AI might go down, right? Like, yep, social media is probably in a general sense, bad for people, but we're going to have it. So what are you left with? You're left with trying to educate people. And that's, that's where teachers are going to play a role too. Like that's sort of one of our jobs maybe in school now is to teach kids about responsible use of social media so that it doesn't take over your life and destroy your, your psyche. Maybe a new part of that is going to be teaching students about AI and how to use it responsibly. I, I think that's where this falls. Another good thing to, uh, an example to share with someone who is expressing these concerns is think about the two ends of the spectrum. Uh, one end being AI is going to end society because it's going to quickly become smarter than human beings and for some reason destroy us. I don't, I'm not really sure how that would go down, but I'm just saying that's like the far end of the spectrum on one end. And then take the other far end of the spectrum on the opposite side, which is this is only fantastic news and it's gonna unlock humanity's potential to live a, a more peaceful and happy existence because we no longer have to deal with you know, menial tasks, let's say. It's gonna totally unlock the potential of a human being. So those are the two ends of the spectrum. What is actually gonna happen in, in real life is gonna be somewhere in between that, right? Somewhere probably in the middle of those two. I'd probably think a little bit more towards the positive side. Other people might feel a little bit more towards the negative side, but that's almost always always the way that this type of stuff goes down. Anytime there's a new, you know, a, any new technology. So that's a helpful thing to share with people too, just for a little perspective. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie War Games. Have you ever seen it, 1983? Yeah. Would you like to play a game with the computer? Yes. That's kind of what the the one extremist side is. The other side is, is we could use AI to simplify our lives. All right, we could use AI to do some of the you know, mundane tasks that teachers have to do. And this is my biggest takeaway with AI. If you have to think if how you're using it is ethical or unethical, you probably should not be using it. Right. All right. But if you can use AI to write a lesson plan, the shell of a lesson plan, or, you know, write a email that you're going to have to send out to 50 people that doesn't need to be personalized. Like what I'm saying is for you, uh, you have a limited number of spots for ski club. You have to send out communication, whether or not a kid got one of those spots, 
you can use AI to send out those emails. And I think that's an easy way of, of really justifying AI. If you need an image that means really nothing, you're not selling anything you know, with it or anything like that, you just need an image. Like if I needed an image of a beaker, it's no different than going to you know, an icon website, grabbing an image of a beaker, copying and pasting it over. See no issue with that. But you know, you could just ask AI to do it. It's done. You don't need to go searching. You don't need to research anything. It's done. It's a one stop. Ask for a beaker, get a beaker, copy paste, or move on with your life. So I let's say I got one more comment about this, and we'll move on to the next question. And I'm only doing this because you made me think of something else that came up yesterday. Because we were doing presentations, some PD yesterday um, on this exact topic. And somebody in my session, because we did separate sessions this time, someone in my group shared that they've, they feel like it's cheating, right? If you go to, let's say, ChatGPT and it writes a college recommendation letter for, for you, um, this person said they felt like it's cheating, like that that's, those aren't my words, how can I share that? Um, and at first I was like, yeah, I, I get that response totally. And then, then I thought about the college recommendation letter that I send right now that I feel like is my letter and I wrote. I didn't write that letter. I went, this is 10 years ago when I first started teaching, more than that, 14 years ago. I went to Google and I searched on Google for college recommendation letter templates. And I found one I liked and I have since used it and adopted that into the letter that exists today where I plug students' names in and send out and have different versions of. So a lot of the things that you, that not you, but teachers might think are their own creations also started from someone else's creation. So, you know, what does it really matter if that was written by a human or if ChatGPT put it together? To me, it's the same thing. Yeah, we, we as teachers, we use templates all the time. All the time. All the time. But if you go in, you change it. For letter of recommendation, the first and last paragraph is always, we recommend the student for enrollment into your college or university. All right, that's, that's the first one. And the last one's always, if you have any questions, don't have any hesitation, we fully support this candidate into your college. Happy to speak with you fully, or, you know, more later, right. whatever you want to say there. Those two are typically the same. The middle ones are your meat paragraphs. These are the personalized statements. And here's the thing, if you feed the personalized statements into the prompt, they're gonna write it. So it's still you feeding the personalized statements in there. It's just AI filling in the gaps and making it a paragraph. Now, if you go in there and it sounds too AI-y or robot-y or however you wanna say it, Go make more changes, polishes up, and send it out. Yeah, the same as you did when you found the template on Google, the, the you know the old school way, what is now the old school way. I'll I'll take it to another place. I remember you actually when I first started teaching. It was like the end of August, and I came in before students were here to kind of check out the rooms. And you were sitting in room four hundred eight. You had super long, shaggy hair at that point. Right on. <laughs> And uh, you kind of sat me down at the computer and were showing me some stuff. 
the number one thing you told me from literally my day one is don't reinvent the wheel. If you're doing a, you know, a lecture on, I don't know, let's say atomic structure, the first thing you should do when we sat down and did this is go to Google and type in presentations, this was PowerPoint at the time, PowerPoint presentations on atomic structure and take what somebody else did. Um, it's just weird how now that it's AI, right, people are trying to struggle with that. I think it's just going to take some time to get people used to the new way. So you got the first part of the quote, <laughs> don't reinvent the wheel. And then after that is reinforce the wheel, make right. it stronger. Exactly. And what that means is, you know, the definition of an ion is not going to change. All right. So if you grab a person's PowerPoint and they have the definition of an ion in there, and you're perfectly fine with that, use it. If you don't like the way it's worded, you use your own. Go right. in and change it. But don't go in there and create a PowerPoint with all this background and all this great stuff if there's one already out there that you can use. Yeah, use it, make it your own. And here's the other crazy part. I probably don't use any of those presentations anymore because in the process of taking someone else's work, I modified it, made it my own, until 10 years in, I figured out my own voice and the way that I would share this information. And now, just over the slow progression of time, I do have my own created presentation or video or whatever it is now, but it's just that slow development in, in that person's work that I took was just the starting point. Your, if, your first year, you're just trying to- Trying to survive. Get your feet wet and survive. Right. And, and that's one thing that I tell all our new teachers. Your first year is to try to figure things out and stay afloat. So we should build in AI for the new teacher yeah, presentation, maybe, I guess. Yeah, that would be great. Right. Uh, my, my thing is, is I still say that statement to all our new teachers. Don't reinvent the wheel, reinforce the wheel. And I think that's something that we need to, I don't know, really grasp onto with AI. Don't reinvent the wheel, just reinforce the wheel. If you can get the wheel or AI to be the wheel and make uh, a lesson plan for you, great. Start with that, then reinforce it with the way that you're going to personalize your learning or differentiate your learning or whatever it may be. But as teachers, if we can get some of our time back, I think AI is worth it. That's my personal opinion. I know that there's people out there that disagree, and I totally understand their stance. I totally understand it. But if it works for you, use it. If you have to question the ethics of it, don't use it. And if you hate it, don't, don't use, use it. it. Man, just let everyone else figure it out, and you can watch from the sidelines. That's cool, too. Let's get to uh, question four. In your opinion, what is the state of education post-COVID? Have teacher practices changed? And boy, this is a multi-part. Do you feel teachers are experiencing ed tech burnout? Um, yeah, yes, yes, and yes. There's a lot of burnout. I was actually gonna say there's student burnout too. We're seeing a bit of a, uh, like an anti-tech wave amongst students where they're, they're sick of online tests. My kids ask all the time for, uh, if they can do paper and pencil, which I do, because I, I prefer it too for the type of work that's done in chemistry. Uh, we're having a harder time getting students to engage in a flipped classroom where they're watching videos for homework because they're sick of watching videos. Um, I think personally this is a, sort of a cyclical thing and we're just kind of wrestling with 
you know, meeting maybe at like an equilibrium of, of you know, a balance between the tech and, and the non-tech. So I'm not like worried about any of this, but I'm definitely seeing that and, and trying to help teachers through figuring out maybe how to how to balance all that stuff. Yeah, I'm really hoping that this summer teachers and students recharge a little bit because I agree with you. Tech burnout is there. Uh, I don't. I haven't been trying to get anyone to do super complex uh, integrations of technology for a long time. I try to keep it simple at comic strips and for graphics, things like that. And uh, I will say that, you know, I'm kind of discouraged a little bit because I felt like during COVID, we were starting the way that we assess our kids. We started changing the way that we assessed our kids. Uh, we would ask questions in a way that if they use technology, they couldn't cheat. And I feel like now that we're back at school, we're going back to the, you know, multiple choice questions that everyone's seen. They're posted on the internet. People can get a hold of the answers very quickly. There's no application. You don't need to know any, like, you just need to know how to plug and, and solve. There's no in-depth understanding of what those numbers actually mean. We just know that anytime you see a speed, we put it in for this variable anytime you see. And we just plug and play. We don't actually know the physics behind it. We don't know the science behind it. We know the math formula, but the numbers in the formula really don't mean a darn thing. And uh, I just think that's, that's a shame. I think we should be more... Uh, creative with the way that we ask questions and i've seen us revert back to old tendencies that weren't there during covid and uh you know that's kind of how i feel about that i feel that this summer will do us some good and that maybe we can hop back in there yeah i think we'll you know it's almost like you need to reboot and let people swing back the other way and eventually the these pendulum swings between tech and anti-tech will will get smaller until we all settle out with something that works for everybody um, and then our, our final question of the episode is, hey guys, thanks for your EdTech Throwdown presentation at NJECC. Uh, it is always my favorite at the conference. We hear that a lot, by the way. Thank you, listener. Will you be presenting the same EdTech Throwdown at ISTE? This is a quick one because the answer is officially no. We always change it up. There might be an overlap of one or two of the tools that we share, but I know for me, like my seven are gonna be I'm gonna try to get seven different ones. If there's one I'm super pumped about, I'll leave it in. But if you're going to ISTE and you also saw us at NJECC, you can check us out again and we hope you do because it should be fairly different. Yeah, some of the tools that we have for, well, I've already started my bit um, for the presentation and some of the tools that I have this time I've never used, I've never mentioned, uh, I don't believe on the podcast super excited about. Uh, I will tell you this, that we're getting a lot of emails from tools, I guess, uh, from EdTech tools and companies and things like that. And I guess they go and they read the ISTE uh, descriptions and then they ask us if we're going to include their tool. Uh, we only include tools that fit what we're looking for. Uh, usually we have a theme behind our throwdown. Sometimes it's like student-centered learning or blended learning or you know pick a topic but you know we are we're pretty uh i don't know we we just like coming up with our own stuff there we don't really get swayed too much but uh if we 
know that we're going to use the tools, we often reach out to that tool to see if we could get you guys a special discount on it or some swag or something like that. So uh, we will be reaching out to some tools and seeing if we could get some stuff for that presentation. Hopefully we can collect some stuff uh, to give away and, and things like that. So it's a win-win for everybody. You're going to get access to a tool. Uh, you'll get a resource at the end of the presentation. And hopefully we could start a relationship with an ed tech tool that we believe in. It's a fun time, too. You get to listen to me and guys argue and vote for who has the better set of ed tech. So we're gonna we're gonna shut this down. Our, our little recorder might run out of battery soon. It's also been a pretty great episode. I enjoy answering these questions. Please know that you can send in more of this stuff because these are always the most interesting things to talk about. Do us some favors, everybody, like subscribing. Head to Apple or Spotify or Google or Stitcher or YouTube. And if you just search Got Tech on any of those platforms, you'll find us. Write us a review. That's the best way to help us out. The more reviews, the better. Let us know what you think about the show. Check out our website, gottech.com, where you can find all of our episodes along with tons of other cool, free stuff. And also check out the Teach Better Podcast Network, which we are a part of and excited to be so. You'll find us along with lots of other great educational podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.